Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Spreading the Word. I'm your host, Paul Basanti. We have a special episode today. We are listening in to the sessions happening at our 40th annual men's retreat hosted by the men of the Congregation of the Waterloo Church of Christ. We have a guest, again, you've heard him on this channel before, Sean Detile from Laconia, New Hampshire, is the guest speaker this weekend, and the first session is coming right up. Sean has titled this session, Faithful Within, The Need for God's Workmanship. This is the first session on our overall theme this weekend that is seeking to be faithful in our generation. So without any further ado, we'll jump right into it. So I want to talk tonight about uh, faithful within and really uh, uh, focus on the need to really look uh, within and uh, look at our hearts. So uh, Ephesians chapter 2 is where I'm taking this uh, lesson from. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, let me read that. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. In you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So a little bit of background to the book of Ephesians, and I'll show you a little bit from Ephesians tomorrow as well. Uh, a, a guy named Onesimus took letters from Paul uh, from either uh, Rome or, or Caesarea, uh, both places that Paul was imprisoned in. And the common agreement is that Paul wrote this letter around 61, 62 uh, AD. Um, and so uh, in chapter 1, which we'll talk about tomorrow, uh, Paul is trying to make known the splendor of the glory of Christ in comparison to the goddess Diana uh, that was uh, uh, worshipped uh, in, in Ephesus. And we'll talk about that tomorrow, uh, some more tomorrow. But in chapter 2, Paul continues to make known the glory of Christ, but he does so by talking about the darkness of mankind and the greatness of God's love. So I want us to uh, learn four things from this passage tonight. I want to I uh, talk about the acknowledgement of our badness, the reality of God's greatness, the need for God's workmanship, and inviting God's work. So the, the, the acknowledgement of our badness, the reality of God's greatness, the need for God's workmanship, and inviting God's work into our lives. So 
so uh, verses one through three. So, so uh, American Idol, anybody familiar with that? All right. So at its peak, uh, which was a number of years ago, I think, uh, you know, Simon Cow was known for his willingness to kind of tell it like it is, right? A straight shooter, and he wasn't concerned about anybody's feelings. And one uh, memorable episode, I didn't watch it much, but I watched it occasionally. But one memorable episode in the audition part um, was uh, uh, this gentleman who was actually a music teacher uh, at, a, at, a, at a school. And after the audition, uh, Simon basically told the guy that he couldn't sing and that he should not be a music teacher. And, and that was hard to watch, and, and um, I felt bad for the guy. But have you ever been uh, in a situation where someone needed to hear the hard truth? It's hard to say, or, or maybe you're anticipating or, or have, have had times where you needed to have a hard conversation, and you have great anxiety leading up to the conversation, okay? And because the thing that you need to say is a hard thing to say. Uh, and I don't like those conversations anymore than anybody else, but they are sometimes necessary. Uh, and what makes, it a, uh, uh, what makes it a harder truth to tell sometimes is when someone has believed a certain thing about themselves for so long and even made heavy investments into that thing, which is what this guy had done. His whole career was on music. Uh, he had a college education in music and was teaching it. And, uh, you know, if, if someone had told him before he invested in uh, his music education that he, he needs to uh, find something else to do, then that, that would not have been as hard, I think, as to hear it after the investment. So, uh, so most of us are not as bold and probably should not be as bold as Simon Cowell was, okay? Um, but what, so what Paul does, what Paul does in, uh, in Ephesians chapter two is he basically says, hey, you Ephesians, you can't sing, <laughs> okay? He says, in your former life, you believed you could sing, and you were good at what you did. You believed you were, but you weren't. In this section, Paul tells, kind of tells him like it is, right? But he, but he does it in love, and he basically says, you guys were really bad before Christ. You couldn't sing at all. Okay? He says in verses 1 through 3, as for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He says, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. And so in these verses, Paul says, you were dead in your sins, but you thought you were alive. Okay? Uh, you followed Satan, but you thought you were going to heaven. You, you followed the cravings of your flesh, but you thought you were really living. You were children of wrath, but you thought you were children of what? Okay? So Paul basically says, Be before... Uh, before Christ, you thought you could sing, but you couldn't, okay? Um, now, Paul does not say, uh, you guys can't sing, but I can sing. Instead, Paul says, I can't sing either. Verse 3, Paul says, all of us also lived among them at one time. So Paul says, not only can you not sing, I can't either. Right? And, and because of Paul's strong language here, we can imagine that that, uh, that any of the Ephesian Christians reading this, this letter could have said to themselves, relax, Paul. Right? You speak like we, uh, we couldn't sing at all. Maybe we weren't as good as the people that you know, but we're certainly not as bad as others. Okay? And so this is where, uh, clearly we're not talking about singing here. Right? 
We're talking about uh, the nature of our hearts. This is where I think the Bible clashes, I think you'd agree, with modernity. With, uh, in, in our modern times, we're told that everyone can sing just to different degrees, right? Now, uh, so we're told, really, that everyone is good at their core. Some just struggle more than others. Everyone can sing just to different degrees, this kind of thing. So humanism, for example. Humanism, if you know anything about it, basically says that everyone is good. There's just a few bad wackos out there who ruin it for the rest of us. Or psychology will say, everyone is good. Some people just have certain disorders that prevent them from hitting the high notes or some variety of them. Okay? So religious, and religious people will even say, uh, the really good people can sing, the really bad people cannot. But the Bible says, in truth, no one can sing, but everyone thinks they can. <laughs> okay? The Bible says everyone is tone deaf, or more specifically, none, none are righteous. No, not one, right? That Jesus himself would say, why do you call me good? No one is good, save God alone. Right? So we hear this uh, in our modern times, and we kind of feel like Paul is doing, a, he's doing something wrong. We feel like Paul is doing harm to these people by telling them, uh, you know, like Simon, you're being too harsh, man, lighten up. That is, he's, he's too strong, he's too tough. Uh, we feel like if he continues down this road of language, he may throw them into an identity crisis of sorts because he's drawing out what's wrong with them instead of helping them focus on the positive, right? So we feel like by bringing up the past, as Paul is doing, and talking about how bad we were, that it's going to put us into some kind of emotional tailspin, which may lead us to go do something drastic like kill ourselves. Right? So in fact, you're pro probably saying to yourself, I felt good tonight until Sean told me that I couldn't sing. <laughs> so, so here Paul's words. So Paul says four things that are sharp. I mean, this is Simon Cow type of language. He says, he says you were dead. You were slaves. He says you followed Satan, and you were children of wrath before you came to Christ. Really? You were dead, you were slaves, you followed Satan, and you were children of wrath before you came to Christ. And then he says in verse 3 that this is true of all mankind before they turned to Christ. He says you were by nature children of wrath like the rest of the world. So this is the biblical teaching about humanity. The Bible says you have infinite worth, right, because you are made in the image of God, but there's also something very wrong with you. Um, and this is the opposite of modern thought. Uh, modern thought tells us that everyone is basically good at their core. Uh, there's just some wackos out there who aren't. And so even country music singer Luke Bryant, anybody a country music fan, he has that song, uh, most people are good. I believe most people are good and, and most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. Right? That's, that's the modern view of the world. Most people are good. So um, modern thought tells that everybody's basically good, but the Bible says that we're all a bunch of wackos. <laughs> None of us can sing. So let me ask you, do you believe, and it's rhetorical here, but do you believe that before Christ you were dead, you were a slave, you followed Satan, <laughs> and you were a child of wrath. Because Paul says the Ephesians were like this, and the rest of the world is like this as well. So do you believe this, or do you believe that most people are good? 
now, I know what I want to believe, but do I actually believe what the Bible says here is true? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, most of us would say we are pretty good people at our core, we just do dumb things sometimes, right? We, we'd like to word it that way. We believe we may not be the best people in the world, but we're certainly better than many others, right? But listen, that's not, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that before Christ, you were dead in your sins, you were a slave, you followed Satan, and you were a child deserving of God's wrath, and that this is true of every human person who has ever lived. So how do we understand this? Because uh, it goes against everything we hear around us. So have you ever wondered why uh, when you get drunk or wasted, or when someone you know gets drunk or wasted, uh, they don't suddenly lose control and become the city's best philanthropist. Right? Like, why is it that when we get high, we don't suddenly become better people? Uh, why not? Why, why should we suddenly become worse people? Like, why, why could we not get high and then suddenly become the type of people we always wanted to be uh, in our sober state? Why do we not become better people when we're intoxicated? Why, don't we, why do we automatically become worse? Um, I mean, have you ever run into a an intoxicated Mother Teresa? No, no, an intoxicated tyrant, maybe. So why, why is this? Well, here's why, because our addictions do not make us worse. Our addictions make us more us. Let me say it again. Our addictions do not make us worse. Our addictions make us more us. What do I mean by that? In other words, when you're wasted and you lose your self-control, it's not as if you become a different person. When you're, when, we, when, when you're drunk, you simply become the truer form of yourself that you normally do not allow yourself to be when you're sober. Drugs, folks, do not make us selfish. Drugs allow the selfishness already inside of us to surface without restraint, okay? So when you're sober, you're not suddenly not capable of the things that you were capable of when you were stoned. When you are sober, you are every bit as capable and every bit as selfish as you were when you were drunk, but because of social norms, when you are sober, you don't let that selfishness go up that high, okay? Drugs and alcohol do not put selfishness and self-centeredness into us. Drugs and alcohol simply take away all restraint so that all of the selfishness and self-centeredness already there can arise without hindrance, okay? And so, so let, me give you a, uh, let me give you a real life example of this. So uh, January 8th, 1956, five American missionaries, you probably know the story, were speared to death by what were then called the Aka Indians of the Amazon, uh, the jungle of South America. And so this tribe was a uniquely vicious people in that uh, anthropologists who later studied the tribe concluded that six out of every 10 Aka adults, six out of every 10, died by homicide, okay? The Aka Indians today, uh, today they call themselves by the name of Horani Indians, uh, have since been evangelized with the gospel, and many are Christians. So today, uh, people can actually tour this Aka, Akan village, 
and, uh, and visit these primitive people. And so Steve Saint, the son of one of the missionaries who was speared in 1956 in bringing the gospel to these guys, uh, recorded in his book uh, the experience of one such tour of Christians that they brought to this tribe. And so here's a recounting of the visit. He says, as the students unloaded their bags, I could see that they had uh, that they had come to truly respect and enjoy their Horani gods. He says, um, so much so, in fact, that as we settled around a campfire for the evening, a student asked me where the savage Horani were that they had read about in the preparation for their trip. Sitting on logs under a star-studded sky and with a, curious, and with a chorus of jungle insects singing in the background, I explained that the very people they had been traveling with were, in fact, these savages. Seeing the student's look of unbelief, I suggested they ask some of the Horani, who were middle-aged or older, where their fathers were. One student, taking up the challenge, nodded toward a Horani woman. I translated. She replied, he is already dead a long time ago. Having been speared, he died. Her tone of voice suggested that any other cause of death would have been unusual. Four more Horani around the circle gave similar answers, graphically showing on their own bodies where each of the victims had been impaled. Ask Ompole, one student urged another. Several of the young ladies had taken a liking to Ompole, an unusually warm and affectionate woman who was a wife and a mother of ten. My father too, she said, the pain of the memory showing her expression. Then holding out her arm, she pointed at old Dabo, who was listening to our conversation a couple feet away. He killed my father and almost all the rest of my family. Living angry, he speared them all. My God, I was just sitting next to him, explained one of the young men from the tour group. Another added, I've heard enough about killing. But one Harani woman, Dawa, who normally left the conversation to others, spoke up, pointing to her aging and gentle husband, Kimo, who was sitting by me. She stated, hating us, he speared my father, my brothers, and my mother, and babysitter whom my mother was nursing in her hammock. He took me and made me his wife. Our visitors looked genuinely stunned. How could she live with the man who murdered her family? One of the young ladies asked. The students began whispering among themselves, and suddenly I pictured the setting from their perspective. They had gotten themselves in a situation where they couldn't travel without a guide. They were utterly dependent for their survival on a group of primitive people that had just admitted to being habitual killers. It occurred to me that they didn't yet know my relationship to the Horani. Dawa had just finished telling how Kimo had killed her family and made her his wife. Now I put my arm around Kimo's shoulders and informed them, he killed my father too. Silence. At last, the question on everyone's, every, everyone's uh, uh, mind found a voice. What changed these people? All right, so a, a lot, I think, can be learned from these Holani people. Okay? But I want us to see this. These Horani Indians were not strange wackos, uniquely capable of doing heinous things. 
These Hoani people were just like everyone else with the exception that they had no social norms preventing the darkness inside of them from coming up. Okay? In fact, the social norm for the Hoani people was that when you were angry, it was okay to allow your anger to surface freely without restraint, the same thing that happens when you're drunk. Okay? So, and if, so if we think if we think that in growing up in the Harani tribe, instead of here in Ontario, our anger would not have resulted in homicide as well, we're in denial, okay? Because think about it, if at your core, you are kind and loving and Christ-like and selfless, then when you got wasted and lost all self-restraint, then all that goodness will come up. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? Okay? So then why does it happen? Because if you're honest with yourself, at your core, you are not good. You are dead, you are a slave, you follow Satan, and you're a child of wrath before Christ. That's what Paul says, okay? So, it, it, uh, okay, so, folks, the Bible says at our core, we are not good. And the reason we are so hesitant to admit it is because in admitting this, we are afraid that it will make us feel worse than we already do about ourselves. Okay? Sean, what about those people who have low self-esteem? If we say they're sinners and they're bad at their core, this will make them feel worse about themselves and they may do harm to themselves. And I totally disagree. Okay? Because listen, I am personally someone who has struggled with a very low self-esteem. My self-esteem went from through the roof in middle school to through the floor uh, because of being picked on so incessantly in my middle school years. But, but hear me here. I didn't heal by telling myself how good I was. Okay? I healed by slowly discovering how deep were God's affections for me even though I was a sinner and even though others didn't like me. Okay? Folks, people do not kill themselves because of how bad they feel about themselves. People kill themselves because they do not know how deeply God loves them, even in their sins. Okay? They say, God could never love me. And so to tell ourselves that we can sing does not make us good singers, does it? <laughs> the darkness is still there, even though we tell ourselves we're good. Okay? What makes us good singers, folks, as we'll see next, is Jesus. Right. So, so I, be I believe it's true that we, um, that we will never understand the depth of God's love for us in Christ until we see the depth of the darkness inside of us, which Jesus died to release us from. Okay? And so as long as you continue to tell yourself that you can sing, you're good, you aren't perfect, but you're a whole lot better than those guys, okay, then God's amazing love for you will elude you. Okay? When you think about these Hawani people, do you say to yourself, I could never kill anyone like that? Well, then you don't know your own heart. Okay? Um, so, according to verse 3, the Ephesians and the rest of mankind were all equally dead, equally slaves, equally following Satan, and equally children of wrath without Christ. So that's the first thing we see, the acknowledgement of our badness. Until we see the depth of the darkness within, 
we'll never understand the depth of God's love for us. The second thing we see is the reality of God's greatness. So verses 4 and 5 in Ephesians 2, he said, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in, in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Okay? So what Paul says here is that now, because of Christ, you can say, I can't sing with a smile. <laughs> because I, I can't sing. Okay? Uh, if you're a Christian, you can say with Paul, uh, Paul said this about himself. You, you can say with him, if you're a Christian, I am the worst of, of sinners, and you can sip it you can say that while sipping coffee and smiling. I am the worst of sinners. Okay? If you're a Christian, you can now testify to how radically bad you were at your core, but you can do it with the ease with which you testify to the good things you have done. You can say, man, I really messed up my life, but God is rich in mercy. Okay? You can say, I made a mess of my career and my selfishness. But my God and his great love for me is restoring the things I broke and the people I hurt. And he's even bringing the people I hurt to faith through it. You can say, I was a bad father to my kids. I hurt them. I wasn't there. I was arrogant. My sins were out of control. But get this, and you can say this with a smile. God's power is now in me, and the more I trust in him, the more I see him remaking and rebuilding and restoring all my mess-ups. Okay? You can say, like with Paul, I'm a filthy, wretched sinner, but my God is amazing. He loved me even when I was being stupid, and by his spirit, he is empowering me to leave my foolish ways behind and even leave my guilt behind. Okay? If you're a Christian, you don't have to uh, try really hard to prove to others that you can sing. If you're a Christian, you can just admit that you can't, but that Christ is now singing through you by his Spirit. Okay? If you're a Christian, you don't have to lie to yourself okay? or make sure you pray enough hours each week and read your Bible through enough times to finally feel like you're good enough. Instead, if you're a Christian, you can rest in the fact that you and the rest of the world are not good enough, period. Never will be, never would have been. But, here's where you can smile. God loves you anyway. Isn't that amazing? God loves you anyway. And know how much he loves you. He, he, he adores you. He looks at you, and through the screen of Jesus' blood, he says, look at my son. Oh, isn't he wonderful? He's now finally letting me love him, and oh, how I love him. Now, I want him to read his Bible and pray because that's how he's going to become increasingly aware of my love for him. But I don't love him because he does those things. I love him because I'm rich in mercy. And I wanted to love him. And oh, how I love him. He's marvelous. God says that about you in Christ. Okay? So Paul said, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And so how is it that the Harani people could live with themselves after knowing they killed each other so viciously? How could they live with themselves? Because they came to experience God's great love for them. Okay? They can now say, I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, had great love for me. Okay? Uh, they could say, on my own, I would have killed everyone. 
but my God let himself be killed for me. On my own, I would have hated everyone, but my God let himself be hated for me on the cross. On my own, I would have blamed everyone for my problems, but when I look to the cross, I see God letting himself be blamed for me, for my sins, right? On my own, I would have gone straight to hell, but in Jesus Christ, God, uh, my God went straight to hell for me, so that I don't have to go there, okay? Folks, Paul says that Christ is so much more glorious than the goddess of Diana that we'll talk about tomorrow. Um, because Diana only cares for those who care for her. Christ cared for me when I cared nothing for him. So Christ loved me when I hated him. Christ came to me when I ran from him. Christ embraced me when I rejected him. Christ died for me when I would only live for myself. It is by grace that I have been saved through faith not of myself, it is a gift of God. And now I can say, <laughs> I'm a filthy, wretched sinner, but I can say it with a smile, because amazingly, God loves me anyway. And that's part of the wonderment of the gospel. <laughs> until I see just the depth of darkness that, that resides in my heart, I will never understand the depth of love God has for me. Okay? And so, uh, does that mean that God just lets us get... Uh, get away with doing wrong. No, I mean, if you murder someone, you're going to go to jail. But just because you murder someone does not mean the darkness inside of you is greater than the darkness inside of everybody else. No, it just means that your darkness came up a little farther than everybody else's did. It's all still there, right? So we see here, first of all, the acknowledgement of our badness. Paul says we were, we were dead, we were uh, servants of Satan, um, and two other things. And then we see the reality of God's greatness, that he loved us anyway. The third thing I want us to look at is the need for, our need for, God's workmanship. So if you look at verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. All right, so the Bible says that God created us for good works. God created us so that we would join him in working good in the world, okay? But in order for us to work good for God, God must first do a good work in us because deep down, right, we're broken. Um, Paul said to the Ephesians, he said, uh, we have been worked on by God. We are his workmanship, okay? Which means that we are now a result of God's work in us. Uh, because the Ephesians had let God work in them. They were no longer dead. They were no longer slaves. They were no, they were no longer followed Satan and they, no longer, they were no longer children of wrath. Instead, they were ready to join God in doing good works on earth. So how did God do that good work in them? Well, he did it when they believed the gospel, right? When you believe the gospel, your heart will go from dark to light and from hard to soft, why? Well, because the gospel says this. The gospel says, I once thought I was better than others, but Jesus became the worst for me. I thought I was good, but Jesus became bad to make me good. Jesus became a sin for me. I thought I was fairly clean, but Jesus became dirty. To make me spotless, right? 
I thought I was going in the right direction, but Jesus took my dead-end street for me. I thought I needed nothing, but Jesus, needing nothing, became needy on the cross for me. When you let the light of the world shine on you like this, when you believe that this is the, uh, the, the depth of love that God has had for you, when you see and understand and truly take in this gospel, what it does is it grabs your heart, does it not? You can't look at what God did for you on the cross, seeing your darkness and seeing his love and response, and be anything but moved and gripped and tugged and pulled and surrendered and, and flattened and awed. And the, the, the God, so Romans 1, 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because that's it's the power of God. When the human heart hears the gospel, that I was a Harani Indian just as evil, I just didn't let it go up so high, and God loved me anyway. Ah, oh, it grips me. It has to if I understand it. If I understand it. It has to grip me, okay? So the need for, uh, uh, the need for God's will, we, we need the gospel daily in front of us, penetrating our hearts and bringing us to a deeper and deeper awe and wonder of his deep love for us. The last thing I want to talk about is uh, in, invite, inviting God's work into our lives. So, so uh, we need to acknowledge, until we acknowledge how dark our hearts are, can be. Uh, we're not able to see just the depth of God's love for us. Okay? And uh, th that changes, though. The darkness of our heart begins to change and dissolve and evaporate the more my heart attaches to that life-giving gospel that says, I was bad, but he became bad to make me good. When I see that, when I believe that, when I know that to be true, I can say I'm a filthy, wretched sinner with a smile, and some of that, and that darkness slowly, by the power of the Spirit, begins to dissolve and evaporate and go away. And now, what grows in me are the fruits of the Spirit, right? Love and joy and all that ugliness comes up. Right? So, how do we? I want to close. How do we uh, daily? Invite God as Christians to continue to surface the darkness, get it out, evaporate it, destroy it. How do we do that? Because what we don't want is to hinder the Spirit's work in our lives by leaving all that darkness unprocessed, undealt with, and just ignoring it. Okay? So how do we, I want to suggest three things that are very important in this direction. Uh, again, this is all an effort to look within. I need to be faithful within. I need God to do a work, to daily do, continue to do a work in my heart. So, number one, uh, the first thing I feel like is, is very important is that, is that we come out from behind the tree. We come out from behind the tree. Remember that. Well, we, you go back to the Garden of Eden, right? And Adam and Eve sinned, and now they're hiding. So I think the, the first very important thing for us to do is to just be honest. I'm not as good as I look. I'm not as good as I feel. Uh, sometimes I truly uh, have uh, uh, things in my heart that I don't want to be there, but I know are there. We need to come out from behind the tree and just expose it. And I think, first of all, we need to expose it to God in prayer. 
But we also need to expose it to someone else. So the Christian life is a confessional life. It's a life in which we uh, are invited by God to come out of hiding, to put down our fig leaves and say, all right, here I am, naked and unashamed. Uh, we're invited to do that, but not just with God. And this is usually where uh, uh, the, uh, uh, a lack in many men's lives, in my, in my experience, uh, we don't have anybody to be that uh, transparent with other, other guys. And so we may be exposing ourselves to God, but nobody else really knows of the darkness within. So I think we really need to, if we're going to grow in this way, come out from behind the tree. Okay? We must come out uh, from behind the bushes and be honest with God and be honest with others as well. We must have other men we can confess uh, not just sin to, but temptation to as well. Right, so if you think about the Garden of Eden for a second, um, if we ask ourselves in the Garden of Eden, what, what's, what's one thing that could have changed that would have resulted in uh, Adam and Eve not eating the forbidden fruit? So you picture the scene, right? The serpent comes to Eve and says, Eve, did God really say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And Eve kind of begins a conversation with the devil. Well, no, he said this and, and all that. And ultimately, she fell to the devil's... That, that, that was the devil's first temptation right there. So what could have changed at that moment to make... Uh, uh, to change the result? Well, I think if, if Eve would have paused right there and said, Adam, come here, come here, come here, come here. The serpent here just, just, just told me this. And what do you think? That would have been Adam's invitation to say, no, 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 God didn't say that. God said this. Now let's go tell God what, this just, what just happened. That would have been Eve confessing not sin, but temptation to sin. So I believe, so I counsel with many, I do about 400, and last, last year uh, the council was, had 420 counseling sessions. So I had about 20 counseling sessions a week. And being known as a Christian counselor in my community, uh, I often have parents um, bring their children to me, they're, they're uh, you know, uh, usually teenagers, who are struggling with same-sex attraction, okay? And so they're bringing their child to me because they know that this is a problem. And um, now, first of all, when someone is coming to me, when a parent is bringing a child to me uh, because their child has voiced the same-sex attraction, um, that's never, that's never the issue. It's always the back burner issues. There's something that same-sex attraction is fulfilling, and we usually we try to get at that. So it's hard to even talk about the issue. We, it, eventually, we get to it. But, um, but, but think about it. A 10-year-old. A 10-year-old is coming into his body. Right? He's beginning to feel things he's never felt before. And lo and behold, Satan puts a seed of thought into his mind. Of, hmm, what if, son, you're attracted to men? All right, what does a 10-year-old boy do with that? Well, 10-year-old boys today, what they do with it, because they don't know anything about temptation, they say, hmm, if I'm thinking that, that must mean something about me. And so when the next temptation comes, you feel something about men, don't you? It's another confirmation of that must mean something about me. But what's really happening there is what Satan is coming, just like he did with Eve, to say, and to suggest to that 10-year-old boy uh, suggest a lie. So if that 10-year-old boy right at that moment had someone that he could go to and to say, Dad, I was sitting the other day in the living room and this 
thought came to me that said that I might be attracted to men. If a 10-year-old boy could go and say that to his dad, that would almost instantaneously dissolve the power of that temptation. Why? Because his dad could say, you know, son, don't, don't worry about that. Okay? I've gotten those similar temptations in my life. Sometimes I'm, I'm tempted to X, Y, and Z. They don't mean anything about you. But they are Satan's way of trying to bring you down a dark road. So when you have that thought next time, would you come to me and let's talk about it. If a, if a child could do that, confess not, confess not sin, he hasn't sinned, but confess temptation to sin. When that boy is 16 years old, that attraction will, will have been dissolved. Because Satan will say, well, that didn't work. We'll try something new, okay? So coming out from behind the tree means not just having someone to confess sin to, although we need that too. But we need other men in our lives to confess temptation to. So for example, hey Paul, I really, uh, this week I really just wanted to strangle my kids. Okay? I haven't, I haven't sinned yet, but I know that that darkness is within me. And simply confessing it to another brother, to have him say to me, Let's pray about that. Okay, we want that gone. Okay. If I don't have that, I don't have someone to confess not just my sin to, but my temptation to, that temptation will get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger, and I'll eventually lash out. Okay. So, if this darkness within that we've just talked about is going to uh, be dissolved, so to speak, uh, first of all, we must daily attune ourselves to what the gospel says. But secondly, I must have those uh, men, one or two, that I can go to in a time of temptation, but also in a time of uh, sin. And if I don't have that, those temptations are only going to get stronger. Okay, so, so that's the first thing. So I always recommend to guys, you need at least one or two guys. So you can call in the moment, the moment of temptation and say, hey, I'm really, I'm aggravated at my wife. I'm really tempted to look at pornography right now. Would you, can we just talk for a second? I need someone to call to say I'm tempted and not just to call afterwards and say, hey, I fell. We need both. Does that make sense? So we need other men, one or two other men, and, and by the way, uh, always other men. We don't need women to confess to, except if it be your wife, okay? Uh, husbands and wives, if they have a healthy relationship, can, can be confessional in this way together, uh, but only uh, in that marital relationship. So always another guy. So, so come out from behind the tree. Confessional to God, confessional to, to each other. Secondly, um, inviting God's work into our lives. We need to carve space every day for Jesus to communicate his love to us. Let me say that again. We need to carve out space every day for Jesus to communicate his love to us. Do you, do you have, let me ask you, do you have a place to go every day to voice your love to God and to invite him to reassure you of his love for you? Do you have a time and a place every day and every week where you get to voice to God all that you feel about Him and all that you feel about yourself? Is, do you have a time and a place where you and God communicate in that way? So for me, let me tell you what that looks like. Uh, I generally don't feel good in the morning. 
Uh, it's not just come because I'm a morning person. It's more because my temptations come in the morning. And my temptations have always been to dwell on the past. And it may be as, something as stupid as, that sermon yesterday was a flop. <laughs> I wish I hadn't said X, Y, Z. Okay? So I may be just dwelling on yesterday, but I also could be dwelling on five years ago. And so what I have come to know about myself is I need, when I first get up, I need to go spend time with Jesus. And what that looks like for me is I go and I take a prayer walk around my yard. And I take a prayer walk as long as it takes me to feel good again. And for me, so it's, it's Lord, I'm, uh, I'm not feeling well this morning. I'm dwelling on this. And I haven't forgiven myself. And I don't know why, but Lord, I need your help. Or, uh, Lord, I'm, I'm just anxious. I don't want to have this conversation. I don't want to do this right now. I, I, need, your, I need your help, Father. So, um, so that, for me, that's a daily thing. Every morning, I'm doing that. I'm outside. I have to be outside for me. It's very hard for me to pray indoors, focusedly. Okay? Um, every, every, every morning, and then before each session, each counseling session that I have, I'm always, before I open the door to let them in, on my knees saying, Holy Spirit, would you please be here in this room with me? Because I'm just as broken as they are, and I can't help them unless you help me. Do you have a space, do you, have you carved out space in your day, every day, where you and your, uh, and, and your father commune, and where you voice to him everything that you're feeling? We, we, we need that. Okay? We need that. And the, the, the second thing it looks like for me is, that that's a daily thing for me, but once a week, uh, I need some extended time with my father. And so I, uh, every Monday morning, uh, I get on the railroad tracks near my home. That railroad tracks go around the lake. It's very beautiful. And I'll walk for two hours. And it's just me and my father in prayer. And he gets all of me. There's nothing uh, unhidden uh, that I don't expose to him. And, and by the way, let me, let me say this too. Uh, I found that for a lot of men, and even women, but a lot of men, when you pray, when we pray, the majority of our prayers are silent prayers. We pray in our head. Okay? There's nothing, God hears those prayers. Nothing wrong with that. However, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more tomorrow. Okay? Because God has made us communicative creatures, people uh, who need to communicate, I believe that learning and, and uh, practicing praying out loud uh, more than you pray in your mind is going to be a healthier long-term habit for you, especially if you are a verbal processor. So, hang on the difference. So, a verbal processor, the more you talk, the more the more clarity you have. Um, you're a verbal processor. If you're that way, you especially need to uh, pray out loud. Okay. Uh, and so, and so, if you're going to do that, of course, you need to be alone. Okay. Um, Versus other people, they, they get clarity by, by processing internally. Okay? They need to pray out loud too, but not as much as typically the person who is a verbal processor. So, uh, so that's what it looks like for me. I get, I get two hours, and, and, and I, I just anticipate that every time I get on the railroad tracks on Monday morning, my Heavenly Father is meeting me there, and we walk together. Okay? Carving out space daily for communion with your father, and then weekly as well, uh, some, some extended time. 
usually on a day of rest. So, so come out from behind the tree when you be confessional with God and with others. Uh, secondly, uh, carving out space in your day to speak this way, to pray this way to your Heavenly Father. Um, and then uh, the last thing I'll say is, uh, is consider we need to feed the right dog. Feed the right, what does that mean? Feed the right dog. So Ed Wood uh, shared a story about an Indian man who had become a Christian. And when asked about his newfound faith, he described it as having two dogs living inside of him. One is like an old dog, he said. He's mean, he's vicious, he's unmanageable, and downright untrainable. <laughs> the second is like a new dog. This dog is obedient, longs to serve Christ, and give all, gives all of his attention to the Lord. And he described the two dogs as always uh, fighting, against, uh, uh, fighting to get his attention and wanting to have control over, over his entire life. And so when asked what dog wins... He replied, the one I feed the most. <laughs> okay. The one I feed the most. Um, <clears throat> we really need to monitor what it is we're feeding ourselves on a daily basis. Okay? And there's no end to the garbage or junk food we can feed ourselves. And, and some of it's not bad, honestly, it's not. Um, but asking yourself the question, is what I'm feeding myself actually benefiting me? So, okay, here, let me say it this way. When you feel stressed, when you feel anxious, when you feel depressed, we can either do something that helps us deal with that, or we can do something that helps us escape from that. And uh, in my experience, most men have more escaping habits than they do dealing habits. So escaping habits for a man would include video games, pornography, workaholism. I worked with a guy in, uh, in college who worked two jobs full-time, had two kids and a wife, and was never home. And I asked him one day, I said, why do you work so much? Do you need the money? He said, no. It keeps me from thinking. That's not a, that's not a dealing strategy. That's an escaping. He doesn't, want, he doesn't want to think those thoughts and keeps himself as busy as he possibly can be so that he gets to his bed at night and drops dead and doesn't have to stay up at night thinking. So most men, in my opinion, have more escaping habits than they have dealing habits. Dealing habits are, are those things you go and do. Having done them, they better equip you for actually dealing. Prayer, scripture study, exercise, uh, talking with another Christian. These are things that you can go and do. Having done them, they better help you deal with what you're facing. Okay? So, um, we need to develop better dealing habits with life. And, and, and so, what are we feeding ourselves? Are we feeding ourselves junk food? Are we just trying to keep ourselves numb so we don't have to think? Or do we actually feed ourselves daily the things that will nurture us and uh, help us to grow. So, um, all right, so acknowledging our badness as actually a way to become more aware of God's greatness and His love for us. Seeing the need for God's workmanship, and when that gospel penetrates your heart, it begins to work on your heart, right? 
and leaning into and inviting God's work in our lives by just coming out behind the tree and being honest with God and with others, by carving out space with him every day, and I think uh, an extended time, at least once a week, uh, just to voice to him everything that you feel and think and your love and affection for him, and then really monitoring what it is you're feeding yourself on a daily basis. Does it, is, is it helping you deal, or is YouTube browsing just helping you escape? We need more dealing uh, strategies. All right, so, uh, so we'll, we'll end there. Uh, but uh, really just an encouragement here that, that to be faithful within means we have to deal with the darkness within, it, within us. Okay? Let's, not, let's not tell ourselves we're better than we are. Let's just acknowledge that we, like the rest of the world, have this sin in us that we need God to eradicate. Um, and the more honest we can be about that, the more confessional we can be about that, uh, the more the Holy Spirit will come and eradicate that from our lives. So tomorrow we're going to talk about being faithful at home and the battle of the Christian life. And uh, we're going to go back to Ephesians. Um, the other lessons won't be on Ephesians, but these first two are. And, uh, and we'll build upon this. And we'll also have a breakout session tomorrow where we can uh, apply some of this together. All right, so I just want to close in prayer and then invite Paul uh, back up. Uh, Father, we've tried to uh, look into your word and to understand and grasp and uh, all, the, all that you've said, Lord. Uh, Father, we need you to be, uh, to come uh, daily and to, to continue to purify us and sanctify us to, uh, we know you've made us white as snow already, Lord, but still we wrestle against our flesh. Father, so help us, Lord, to surrender Help us to lean into your dealing uh, mechanisms. Help us to uh, resist the temptation to escape. And help us to find those one or two men that we can really be honest with uh, in this uh, journey called life. So Lord, we thank you for your love and your, and your greatness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And there you have it. Tomorrow we're going to get into more faithfulness, uh, faithful at home, the battle of the Christian life. I look forward to seeing you then, and thank you once again for joining us. If this is an encouragement to you, please share it with others. Uh, we just want to connect with you. We want to support you in your Christian walk. And if there's anything we can do, feel free to reach out to us on any social platform. God bless.